What an episode. Nor Gift does not hold back. I will tell you that much. Let's get a brief intro from him and then jump into the conversation. Yeah, my name is Noah Gift, and I'm currently an adjunct at a few different universities, Duke, uh, also University of Tennessee, um, Northwestern, UC Davis, uh, kind of bounce around a little bit teaching. And I've had a lot of experience in the Bay Area building companies, from game companies to film to social media companies. Okay, so... If you are new to Are You a Robot, let me give you a quick update on what we are doing. This is a series that stems from some of the common challenges that we face when looking at the ethical dilemmas of AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing that is by gathering the best and the brightest minds in their respective fields to come on and talk with me about what they're doing, how they see the world, where they feel something is broken or more attention needs to be put into certain areas of AI ethics, AI governance. And the other thing I will mention is that we do not stop the conversations here. If you want to continue or anything strikes you as interesting in this episode, jump into our Slack community. You can find all the links for that in the description. I encourage you to let us know what we're, what you're working on. Let us know how you see the state of things. Did we get anything wrong? Do we have an opinion that you disagree with? Come and talk to us about it. These are topics that are obviously evolving very quickly and there is no right answer to. We need open discourse. We need to be able to talk about these things in a way that is intelligent. And that is one of the main things that we spoke today with Noah about. How can we be more intelligent in our discourse? How can we make sure that we are not going down a path that leads to stupidity, as he said. So last but not least, I want to mention that we have an incredible sponsor. Ethics Grade has been with us from the beginning. If you don't know who they are, they're an ESG ratings company, which means they study the non-financial impact that a company has on its environment. Recently, they have opened up a whole slew of data for us, which you can check out on their website. It is rating the AI ethics of different companies. And they've got about 180 or so at the time of this recording companies that they've rated, which is incredible. You can go on there and you can see what the AI ethics program at Tesla rates against the AI ethics program at Toyota. Or you can look at Twitter and TikTok and compare the two of them and see what kind of grades they're getting. Go check it out. You can find the link to that below, have a play on their website. And if you care at all about the governance of your company or you would like to be rated, feel free to reach out to them. Without further ado, let's talk with Noah in this fascinating conversation. Again, he does not hold back. He does not sugarcoat anything on this. I really appreciate the way that he has been able to talk to me in such a transparent and really (laughs) truthful manner. Let's leave it at that and get into the conversation. Are you a robot? Excellent. Noah, thank you for coming on here and talking with me. You are prolific, to say the least, We have spoken before on the MLOps podcast and it's there where the seed got planted because in that conversation, we talked about many things that are very technically related. And we also talked about some of the ethical questions around these big companies, their hiring practices, their practices in general, how they're going about things. And that led me to think, Why don't we have a full conversation about that? Why don't we talk about some of the misinformation, some of these reputations that the big companies have and they're upholding, the way that they're doing things, how they're solving problems. All of that 
there's a lot to go into there. But first, before we mm-hmm. get into any of it, I think it would be useful to talk to people about how you got into tech and how you came to be teaching in all of these different universities. Yeah, so my my background is a little bit unusual in that I started off in Southern California working in TV and as a teenager. So maybe even 10 years old, I was working for my dad's television production company and I would work on commercials and, you know, and editing software. So less like I was a software developer kid, but, but I was, I was doing similar things in that, that I was building actual working solutions. And then I think 18, I had a job at ABC actually editing, you know, national news. Uh, so that was a really good experience for me to, to work around adults and do adult things at like the highest level. Uh, and then later I went to college. I was actually offered a job there. So I, I could, I could have had a totally different career. I, I don't know if it would have been good for me, but, um, Hollywood is not necessarily a great place if you're 18. <laughs> um, but, uh, after that I, I decided that I wanted to go to college. So I turned them down and then I, uh, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and studied nutritional science, which is really, um, basically it's like a pre-med type degree, uh, you know, anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, organic chemistry. Um, and so I've always been interested in those topics. And part of the reason I was interested was that I, for a little bit, thought I could be a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe I could have in certain sports, maybe ultimate Frisbee or something. <laughs> but then afterwards, I got a job at Caltech, worked there for a few years, got a master's degree from um, Cal State LA, so the state school in, in Los Angeles um, in information systems. And then because I had had this TV and film background, I got a job in uh, reality TV, which is actually very similar to social media in its current form, you know, where it's really kind of an exploitive industry. You're taking outrageous things and monetizing them. And I, I do remember at one point, I felt so um, intellectually compromised by contributing to reality TV, like Big Brother, those kind of shows that I thought, boy, I, I need to just not do this anymore. Like, this is really wrong. I, I just remember thinking, like, this is not what I should be spending my talent on. So I, so I, I, I left that industry and got a job for Disney feature animation, which is a lot more neutral in terms of like, hey, we're making movies, we're making cartoons. I definitely felt a lot better working for, you know, Disney feature animation. And then uh, I transitioned to Sony Imageworks. Uh, I worked there for a bit, building film pipelines. So really like Unixy kind of things, like you know, making scripts that automate taking movies from one location to another in the in the television production industry. It was all very Python oriented as well. And then uh, moved to Atlanta, lived there for a bit, uh, and then eventually moved to Weta Digital, which was in New Zealand. Uh, and so that was really the film part of my career. So all Python, Unixy stuff. And then right around that time, maybe 2009, I, I was also kind of felt the same thing about the film. I was like, eh, this is just, I want to go a little more deeper into, you know, artificial intelligence in particular. And so I got a degree at uh, UC Davis and uh, I got an MBA degree. At the time, they didn't have msba slash data science degrees that was what what was available so i kind of had to convert it into you know my own uh, machine learning degree and then from there i worked at startups for maybe like a decade and then because i had done you know recommendation engines and built machine learning models in production then uh, it kind of accidentally started to teach a, a former professor said, hey, you should teach machine learning at, at, our, at our new MSBA program in UC Davis. And then I was doing consulting at the same time about 2016. And so I just kind of kept going, just, okay, let's, let's do this. And then other people reached out to me, Northwestern reached out to me, you know, and then eventually I, I have enough teaching jobs now where I have to not teach as much and, and make sure that I have a combination of writing and, and teaching. So yeah, that's basically my background. What an amazing journey. I had no idea about the 
film industry, it's so interesting how you went from that and trans- transitioned into machine learning and AI. And I want to zoom in a little bit on the point you made about reality television having parallels with social media right now. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because it does feel like, yeah, in reality television, they were exploiting or they were getting for their own benefit. They were trying to find this this drama that wasn't there. Maybe they would cut it in or they would poke people to try and create that drama because that's how they could monetize it. That's what would get eyeballs on it. And in social media, it does feel like there's a little bit, maybe the actual social media platform isn't creating the drama as much, but I can see that, yeah, they want eyeballs on it. So they're feeding you the dramatic things. Is that what, what how you were looking at it? Yeah, I mean, I, so like, for example, I, I won't mention the exact show or the people, um, but that I know that many of these shows, uh, one of the things they do is they ply them with alcohol. So they get everybody basically drunk all the time and, and, and actually encourage them to do like really outrageous things. Uh, and in fact, even are capturing all the footage and making private versions of all the stuff that people are doing. It's just, it's a really dirty um, kind of concept. I, by the way, I didn't work directly for the shows. I was working on the technical side. So I, I wasn't like an employee that was, you know, co- you know, co-authoring the, the, the movie or something. It, but I, I had seen enough. I thought, ah, just not interested in this. Because it, it's essentially, if you think about um, information, you could categorize it into maybe three categories. You could say educational you know, like a book. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty tough one to say that's a bad thing to, that, for, that you would want people to do. Like, you should read books. I, I, personally, I think people should read a book, you know, a week is, is a very good target. And then you've got neutral, which is, hey, Godzilla versus King Kong. I just watched that a couple of days ago. Awesome. It has, you know, really bad plot, bad acting, but it's, you know, like some cool creatures are fighting each other. It's like, it's like kind of refreshing. Like, it's just, it's just like, it's just silly, right? It's just not even, doesn't mean anything. And then you've got like toxic, you know, entertainment slash disinformation. And it turns out it's very lucrative, right? In particular, you know, reality TV is lucrative because it's exploiting people. It's, it's um, actually fake. Uh, same with a lot of the stuff that's happened uh, in social media. It's exploitive. It's fake. It's really just misinformation. And so it's toxic. And, and in fact, it's so toxic that people died believing this toxic misinformation in the, in the, in the Capitol riot. So, you know, that's, I think, is really the breakdown is that you can actually make money. And I did it for a long time in film. You can, you can create like Avatar, right? I worked on Avatar. That's silly, right? That's entertainment. That actually doesn't cause people to believe there really are blue giant people, uh, you know, and, and, it's, and it's a form of entertainment. Then there's educational, right? Where, you know, like you read the Codebreaker book, you know, incredible book. But this whole idea of, I think, the, the reality TV companies, um, t- TV companies now, a lot of cable TV companies, uh, social media companies, they've been addicted to the fact that the profits are so high in creating toxic, harmful misinformation that it's, it, that, that it's, it's tough to wean themselves off of it. It is such a valid point when it comes to this toxic culture and how lucrative it is. It's very difficult to now say, well, our whole business model is built around this, but we're going to change to something else because there are so many people invested in it. Do you foresee that ever happening? Like, how does this stop? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the more interesting things about the tech industry in particular is that another categorization you can make is I think a binary categorization you could say is the company a, a company that the customer is the priority. So if you look at uh, Apple for example, the customer is the priority. In fact, the CEO has really specifically said this Steve Jobs has said this, that they, their whole point is they want to make incredible products that please the customer, 
And so there's, there obviously is a lot of money in that. There are some downsides to it. You know, maybe you're, you're using exploitive labor or et cetera, et cetera. You know, there, it's not like every, everything is perfect, but I think the model is clear in that it has, it seems less harmful. You know, there could be things that, you know, maybe are, are, are legit criticisms like uh, DHH, you know, the person that created Ruby on Rails, uh, you know, thinks that they charge too much money. Like these are, these are, you know, I think valid critiques. Very different though from the companies like, or Amazon as well. Like, you know, again, you could have critiques against Amazon, but their, their culture, if you read their documents, all about the customer, right? We're mm-hmm. customers, number one. But then if you look at companies where you're the product, right? So that, that then it, you see that in fact, there's three in particular companies where this is pretty clear, you know, Google actually isn't a um, customer focused company. And, and if you look at some of the critiques on Google cloud, it's cultural, right? Like that, that is like, Oh, nobody responds to my calls. You know, what's happening here that you are, are the product for Google, right? That's really the issue. Now they make, some of the products are pretty incredible. Like Gmail is, you know, really solves a lot of problems, but you're the product. Same with Twitter. You're the product, Facebook, probably the most, you know, on a scale of one to 10 of you're a product company, you are literally the product. <laughs> there, there's nothing else. And so those do appear, the entire business model is essentially toxic, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, all three of those companies in particular know that the me- internal metrics show that disinformation, you know, blatantly false, harmful misinformation does the best. And so that, I think you really could make the case that do they even need to exist, right? And I think that do they even have any place in society, all three of those companies? I'm not going to necessarily weigh in on that, but I think that's a good question to ask. Well, it seems like it's just so ingrained in society now that it would be very hard to disentangle it with our lives. So if even if they we were to say no, they don't need to, how do you get off? It's like we're addicted to a drug. How do you get off of the drug? We need detox or just go cold turkey. Yeah. I, I think I think that that you know that there's varying degrees of um you know, of, of how much you need to use a particular platform. I, if we had to rank them in terms of usefulness versus toxicity, I mean, obviously Google is very useful. You know, in comparison to Google, Twitter, Facebook, there are a lot of good people that work at Google. I know many former students work at Google, um, coworkers work at Google, really smart people work at Google. Some of the things they're doing are really helpful. They, they create educational products. Uh, so in that case, you know, it's so tough to say, I can't use Google anymore. So, but maybe what you could do is minimize how much you use Google, right? Like, you know, you send them a message, say, look, I'm really unhappy with uh, what you've done with YouTube in particular, you know, how you've um, promoted Alex Jones in particular, um, who is, I would call liquid concentrated stupidity. <laughs> and, you know, that we're going to maybe use less of Google. Then if you look at things like Twitter and Facebook, I, I really see almost no value in those platforms at all. I, I think if your company works with Facebook advertising, no, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I, then, you know, you have to make your own, you know, ethical decision around that. I think the ultimate solution is probably government um, action where the, if you think about, again, this is my experience. I worked in reality TV and it's and I built social media company, is that it's really clear that you're a publisher. It's very clear that you're you're publishing content. You should be responsible for it, and you're publishing um, using tools that uh, accelerate the misinformation by creating recommendation engines that that actually recommend toxic extremist, um, you know, easily disprovable information. So just you should be held responsible for it. I think that's probably the real fix is that if they were able to be held responsible for the actual material that they're, that they're publishing, that's probably the best route. I think it's tough for a consumer to be, you know, kind of preach at someone and say, Hey, you're a bad person because you're on mm-hmm. Facebook. I've certainly been guilty a little bit of that, like judging people because they use Facebook. 
But I, I think really the government has to step in. And do you, but do you see that as like there's things that are happening right now with Australia, right? And they're saying that I know there's a standoff. I don't know enough about it to give you the latest update. And by the time this video goes out, I'm sure there will be new developments. But is it something where the government, like it steps in and holds Facebook accountable by fining them every time they have misinformation or by ban, like I have a really hard time seeing what the government intervention would be there. Well, I think in the in the term in, in the U.S., I, there's a lot of back and forth about this Section 230, where you know, should you be able to be sued for things that you put onto your platform? Uh, I would say yes, you should be able to be sued for this. Like if you, in the case of um, the last, I mean, the perfect example is this whole voter fraud um, issue with uh, the voting machines. Like it's clearly you know, blatantly false information that was propagated uh, by these news organizations and the company behind these voting machines are suing them for billions of dollars. So that to me seems pretty clear is, is really isn't just Facebook Fox News, right? Or like not necessarily that they're biased one way or another, but it's essentially the same thing. It, it's just a, it's an entertainment platform that publishes the most outrageous toxic content that they can to monetize it. And so if it, I think that really is the answer is just treat these, these um, platforms that, that publish things like YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook in, in particular, just say, look, they're TV shows, right? They're just, they're basically kind of a Jerry Springer-ified, yes. you know, platform. And uh, whatever, if Jerry Springer says something outrageous or does something, out, which I don't know all the history of the show, but I think there is multiple instances mm -hmm. At least one instance I think I can hear about from the news, which was someone got killed from the show mm -hmm. or whatever. They should be held responsible, right, for, for, for what they did as a TV show. And I think that's really maybe the thing that people could repeat or write their congressmen about or congresswomen about and say, look, this is a TV show and treat them like a TV mm -hmm. show. So it's not, in your eyes, censoring the problem. It's that it needs to be... I, I like that uh, that vision of, hey, this is a TV show or it's like the tabloids. People, it's entertainment. It's not to be taken seriously in a way. But if it is taken seriously and there are repercussions, somebody needs to be held accountable so that somebody should be the, the TV show producer or the social network platform. Yeah, you, you should be have legal liability for saying things that cause real life harm, right? I think that seems like a no brainer. Uh, you can't go onto TV and just start saying false things about a person, disparaging them, and get away with it, right? You can't do that. You'll get sued. And the same thing, if if you pull that away, I think that could really have a, a strong impact. And I think this, this, the counter-argument that people will say is, oh, you know, the internet is so wonderful and this is what caused the internet to be the way it is. It's like, really? I don't think the internet's that great. I think there's a lot of the internet that's just horrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if you look at the documentary from HBO uh, about um, that 8chan you know, website, I don't know if, you know, I'm sure some people have seen this thing. It's, it's horrible. This is, this is really not helpful to society to have really toxic, toxic people, you know, creating the worst vile kind of, of content and, and to, to create platforms that like enable, you know, really the, the, the most vile, toxic, stupid, and, and, and I say really stupid, the liquid concentrated stupidity to be propagated. Like, how is that helpful to the world? I mean, that, this seems like you don't want to be encouraging people to, to create that. And, and, so, and I would even say that another way you could think about YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook is that they're really basically 8chan. They're kind of a mixture of like 8chan and Fox News, but that PhDs from Berkeley that have a computer science degree and PhDs from Stanford that have a computer science degree work there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really another thing to, to, to really deeply think about. If you watch, just watch that HBO documentary on QAnon, 
and just ask yourself the question, isn't Facebook just 8chan, but with some Berkeley and Stanford PhDs? Yeah. I would say yes. I mean, I mean, how is it any different? They're just a more successful version of what 8chan more, more is. More sophisticated. I think... More yeah, sophisticated. I think, correct me, uh, we'll have to get somebody to fact check the actual name. I think it's 4chan. Is it? No, there's oh, there two. Is? There's two. There's so so there. Yeah, no, there there is four four chan. The the if you watch the, the documentary, I didn't know any of this, but it basically first they started out with four chan, which was somehow associated with the same person that now owns eight mm-hmm. chan, and then and then they created eight chan. But but the the basically the 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 the, end, the whole story is that it's a race mm-hmm. to the bottom, right? It's it's like how much. How, how can we find every Nazi on Earth and get them on mm. our platform? Like, I mean, base, basically, that's that, that. I don't know what else the business model is for these for, for these platforms other than let's find the most vile people on Earth, round them up, and put them on a message board, and just kind of see what happens. Wow. wow. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but thinking about it is uh, scary that we're enabling such communication this the internet like you're saying is there's a lot of people that say it's a beautiful thing and it's so special and there is this side of it that enables the race to the bottom or these minds that think alike and what they're thinking about is, are horrible things they all have friends so now it's not like just some person in the middle of nowhere that has that which is for the better and worse like people are listening to us on artificial intelligence ethics and so we can get this message out there and we can have people that are all around the globe listening but then again there's all kinds of other people that are broadcasting many different things that it's not so informational and really this idea of the three different kinds of of content, it's fascinating to me. Like, yeah, you have the positive, uh, educational, which is reading a book. Then there's neutral, like the latest film. And then there's that toxic piece. That is a mind opener because you get those and you see it feels like, and this again is because I think the the platforms push it more. It feels like there's so much more toxicity when really there's not, like you just have to look a little bit further and you'll find much more educational stuff or you have to change your habits because maybe you're not going to find the positive educational stuff going on Facebook or Instagram. So, well, well I think that's that's part of the issue as well with, I think there's, this is kind of gets into the, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, which is that if you think of this you know, recommendation engine technology, you know, I think I think there's so many people. I've created recommendation engine for social media from scratch, and there's this idea of like it's like wow, a recommendation engine. It's like this technological, you know, uh, improvement and like look at how sophisticated you are because you created one of these things. And and I I would say at this point that we should maybe not call it a recommendation engine and we should call it a, a stupidity engine. <laughs> And so basically people are building stupidity engines that propagate stupidity at scale. And the more stupid things you say, the more uh, successful your platform is. And in particular, there's a great article about this um, in MIT um, Technology Review that talks about how at Facebook in 2016, they created AutoML. So basically, Facebook is actually doing some pretty incredible things in terms of machine learning. In fact, probably is much ahead of what we even see in terms of the tools we have totally. available. And they created an AutoML tool that allowed people to create recommendations uh, so that they could increase engagements. And, and it turns out that their tool basically took the most toxic, vile content and, and promoted it to to people and it massively increased their engagement numbers. So it's it's much more profitable for Facebook to create toxic, vile, stupid content. And in fact, there's brilliant people, some of the most brilliant people on earth creating stupidity engines 
And so that's really what they're doing. They're, they're basically propagating stupidity at scale, misinformation at scale. So I think that's another kind of part of the issue is that when, when we, you know, people are kind of glorifying this, the recommendation engines and it's like, let's be careful about what it is is actually being built. It's like bragging about building like a more sophisticated landmine that, you know, can cause, you know, 10% more child amputees or something. It's like, this is a bad thing. Like, this is not a great technology. And it's pretty easy for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube to, to clean this up. It, pretty easy. Just don't let people create content, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's simple. You, you, it's not like you can't prevent misinformation. You could slow it down, right? So you could have maybe like a, a link. Let, let's go to the kind of the pathological extreme is, if you if you looked at YouTube the last ten years, the kind of toxic comments on YouTube have really been there for a long time, like racist comments, misogynistic comments, you know, Nazi comments. It's pretty simple. Like you could just not have comments, right? Now that could cost you some money, right? That could cause cost you engagement on your platform. But this the idea of like, well, there's nothing we can do. Of course you can do. It'll cost it, your your company will make less money, and, and and if if you look at lots of other other industries, there's great examples of this. Like if you're an oil company, you could just like pump oil in the ocean, right? Like when you're done manufacturing, just you'll make more money, right? Why not? Just why even clean up, make systems that clean up oil? Just drop drop it right in the ocean. If you look at um, Chernobyl, there's a great documentary on HBO. Same thing. You go to you could go to uh, the the nuclear power industry and use the same thing that Mark Zuckerberg said is let's move fast and break things. Let's move fast and break things at Chernobyl, right? Let's let's go ahead and like cause uh, nuclear uh, power plants to fail because we're not doing things uh, in a in a in a in a kind of a, a rigorous process. And then we saw what happened there, right? There are you know even to this day, you know people. Uh, have birth defects, uh, you know, massive loss of lives, permanent destruction of society. So I, I think that's the the real other thing that isn't brought up is that these big tech companies uh, can can fix this, but the profits are are so high and, and that that they won't fix it. And, and so I think that's another kind of ethical question, not not for for necessarily for me, but for people using these products is that. You know, are you okay with the fact that you're using products where they know they could make it safer, but they're not? Hmm. And it brings up this point that you spoke to me about last time we talked, how they're getting the smartest people around to work on these problems. And they're really doing some incredible work but with this focus or it's like they have blinders on and they're not seeing the whole picture or they are seeing the picture, but they don't care that much. And so the people that are working there, they're working on these recommendation engines. It's a little bit of a, and, and it's changed from, I think from 2015 onwards, right? You saw that it was a great thing to work at Facebook and now people hide that maybe they don't want to tell people or they get their they do their time at Facebook and then they get out because they get great experience some people are still proud of working at Facebook but the main thing here is that you have some very smart people that are working on some very difficult problems and these problems really should we be working on optimizing our recommender systems or should we just get that out of the equation altogether? Yeah, I think I think that you know one of the the interesting things that 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 I have some expertise in is is the hiring process at these companies. So um, if you look at well, just one other aspect of like let's take Facebook for example. The last survey that I saw was that. Mark Zuckerberg as a CEO, the approval rating is something like in the low 10, you know, 10% of America or the world, you know, thinks that this is a great CEO. So I, I think that's something that Facebook definitely 
it, it could think about is just get a new CEO, right? I, I think that would probably be probably a no-brainer. Also, though, I think that people that are working at the tech companies, that like Facebook, uh, I, I think if you look at the um, the brand, uh, you know, uh, what is it, um, approval as well, that it's somewhere near Philip Morris, right? So, so basically, people are are kind of they have as much trust in a tobacco company as they do in Facebook. So that that will have an impact, right? Like, like that definitely will have an impact long term, unless they do something about it. Uh, that sure, you're making a lot of money, but then the long term, and I think Google really has really damaged themselves from a brand perspective as well in that they, they really at, at one point were kind of, you know, the Holy grail in terms of, you know, thinking about like, wow, could I ever work yeah. at Google? They're so impressive. But if you propagated Alex Jones's misinformation at a scale that was, you know, according to the, the documentary social dilemma that, you know, they, they, they sent recommendations to Alex Jones's content more than all mainstream news sources combined that, that, that really, kind of throws a rock at like, hey, this is the best company in the world. Hopefully, I do have some faith that that someone in in, in, in YouTube or, or Google will realize that that's, they need to get ahead of that and be really clear about why they were wrong, apologize about it, and, and actually and, and be accountable for, for making changes to it. But I think it's kind of, it's kind of, building on that to go to the root of the problem is that if you look at the tech company hiring processes, part of it is that one, if you get, if you pay the most money, people are interested, right? Yeah. Like if you work at a, a big tech company, fan company, the RSUs, you know, in four years, you could easily make a million dollars. So four, four years to a millionaire is pretty appealing, right? To a lot of people. So, so there is that also, you know, the, the saying, Hey, I'm ex Google, you know, that's kind of a cool thing to say. So, so there is, you know, there's some of that, but I think part of the issues is they've, they've also abused that in terms of their hiring processes because, you know, they have this whole kind of leak code mentality where they ask you questions that are more likely not even related to anything that you're doing, which is essentially like a proxy IQ test. And so they're essentially only filtering by IQ to hire people. And there's there's many books out about this concept of like only hiring for IQ in that, you know, one of the things is, are you kind of encouraging groupthink in your company? Like, for example, if you had a less leak code style interview process and you hired from a, a much wider section of society, you know, you know, more females, uh, you know, more um you know, groups that are minority groups, uh, groups from different cultures, different opinions, uh, what would happen? Would there, in fact, be some people that say, hey, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. Have you heard about this Alex Jones person? This is the dumbest person on earth. Like, literally, like, why are we sending his content out somewhere? Like, it's kind of like a, a common sense, right? Where you like, what? What are we doing? Like, you don't even need to be a computer science PhD to look at what this person says and say, like, this is outrageous. <laughs> like, like, how is this the top search result? So I think it's that they really have 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 limited uh, their ability to hire like a mixture of, of people with different talents, just being able to kind of walk through a red black tree on a whiteboard, I think is a bad hiring criteria. So I think that's another way that these companies in addition to, you know, like Facebook, I think if they fire their CEO, replace the board, get rid of Sheryl Sandberg, kind of that, that could be a start. But also I think these, these companies could also look at their hiring practices and say, is this really what we want to do is essentially give people an IQ test and then that's how we hire them into the company? Because look where that got us. In the case of Google, they've really taken their brand, which is, you know, really well-respected and kind of thrown it in the garbage a little bit because of potentially indirectly the way that they hire, my, in my opinion. Additionally, with, with, um, with you know, a company like Google, I, I believe if I look up their, their um, 
what is it, the, the mission statement, right? The, 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 what is the mission statement of Google? It's like, do no evil, here. right? Uh, well, it used to be do, do no evil. They changed mm. it. And they say our company's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That's taking Alex Jones and spreading him all over the world is the exact opposite of your mission statement. That is not useful information, right? That's the most useless information. So the fact that their executives have never been held accountable by whoever owns the company, I'm assuming the, the, the core founders, it's just shocking. Like, how can you fail that bad at your mission statement and be respected? And I think that's another thing that I think they can fix it. But that's, I think, something that the people at Google really should think about is you're, you've failed your own mission statement. How, how, how can you do that and still be well-respected? Well, you talk about how much money they throw at people that they want and... Then you also talk about how there should be a different way of hiring that doesn't just have this proxy IQ test. And I'm thinking about how you could get more diversity in, like I know from my own experience, I don't have the technical background. I don't have a nice Ivy League school diploma or any of that which makes me diverse when I go into those situations and it makes me different when I am at a company that does. And I worked for a bit with a lot of very smart people who all had Oxford degrees or, or whatnot. And I could see it happening where I would bring a different take. And, but I'm still just a white guy from a middle-class family. I can only imagine how much that would be amplified if it was very diverse, right? And so mm -hmm. I think about that. How can you start getting that diversity into Google? Is it just by throwing money at people? But you still want them to have something to do is... Are they just going to be butterflies that float around and say, hey, I don't, I don't know about this? Of course, this is an overgeneralization because Google is a gigantic company now. But I, I guess the question or where I see in my head is how can we start hiring more diversely and not be focusing on that IQ, proxy IQ test? It, it needs, seems like it needs like a whole revamp of of the hiring process. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things here. One is that the Ivy Plus, uh, and um, I, th I think it's the, the 77X um, probability that if you went to Ivy Plus, which is basically like the Ivy League plus, you know, a few top schools, that you, you're coming from the top 1%, right? Your, your parents were from the top 1%. So basically... The Ivy Plus means your parents were rich. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's basically what it means. And so this idea that there's actually some kind of a meritocracy, you know, in education is just the data doesn't say it, right? And so if that's who you're hiring, you're basically hiring people who are privileged and, and wealthy. Um, so there's that. Just just to put that out of the way. The um, and there's there's a I, I read this first from. Uh, uh, the the CNN um, announcer, I think it's Fahid Zahari, uh, in his book, he 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 put that statement. But there's a there's a whole research paper on it that people can look up. The um, but in terms of the hiring process, I think there's a couple things that people could do. One is that is that they could be more ethical in the way that they hire. In that you think about the the length of time and the the leak code questions and all this stuff. If it really isn't what someone's doing at work. One, it, is it illegal? I think that's another interesting question is, is should you be asking people things that don't, you're, they're not actually doing? You know, I, I think they, that I think that process, the, the fact that you're wasting so many people's time in your own company doing these leak code interviews, plus the people preparing for them. What if instead you had people build a portfolio of work 
that was transportable to any company, right? I think just like if you hire a, just imagine hiring somebody to do, do a roof, you know, or a fence or put a solar system in or whatever. Imagine telling them, hey, I don't know if you know what you're doing. So for the next nine months, I want you to build fences for other people and then show me those fences that you're building. And then I want to see, like, it's just the concept is kind of a garbage mm -hmm. concept. And instead, I think if you're able to have like a portable, you know, portfolio of work, then then instead of wasting all these people's time, I mean, you know, they're, you know, if you're not going to hire them, great. If you think they're not qualified, at least they've built something that they can now get hired somewhere else. Like you're, you're, you're essentially like kind of abusing people of, of their, you know, like people that are vulnerable, in fact, right. That don't have a lot of money and you're making them work for free and, and essentially kind of adding to your own prestige by saying, Oh, look at all these people we rejected. We made them work for free for nine months and then we didn't hire them, and then nothing that they learned can be used to hi get hired somewhere else. It's like that's that's exploitive. Right? That's an exploitive hiring process. So that's one thing is like a trans, you know, kind of a, a portfolio of work or like a passport. I think would be one one way to do it. Another one is let's just take Google for a second because I have a lot of exper expertise with cloud computing. Is that you know the reputation on a scale to one to ten? If you had to rank them against AWS, uh, Azure, they're at the bottom, right? They're at the bottom because they have a reputation for poor customer service, you know, poor uh, product focus. If you look at uh, Google Hangout, it really is garbage, yeah. right? I mean, just, it doesn't even work. You know, a lot of their products, they kind of just throw it out there and then just, you know, don't care about it. Well, that's pretty clear, right? Like that would help your brand is actually care about the customer hire tons of customer support people for Google Cloud, get them certified on Google Cloud yourself, train them up, and it would actually make your company much more profitable. So I think there's some really simple things that people could do that would be helpful to society, right? Because now if you're hiring all these people, you're, you're giving them jobs, and you're also helping your own product. So uh, anyway, those are just two ideas that, that I had off the top of my head. Yeah, and you're one person. There's a lot of people that are working at Google and it seems like this hasn't come up yet. I wonder why. Is it just because of the financial aspect and this would be expensive? I, I think that, you know, I think part of it maybe there's like, there, there is like a toxic elitism in, in, you know, in, in that it's like, look, we're Google, right? Like we're, we're, we're better than yeah. you. Yeah. And, and, and I, okay, sure. <laughs> but, but what are you, what are you producing, right? Like if you're producing, are you really smarter than other people? If what you're recommending to people is 15 billion Alex Jones videos, I would call that stupid. I would say you're stupider than other people. So I think the elitism should, they should, they should really kind of think about that a little bit and say, you know, maybe we could learn things from other people, in, including regular people. And that actually might help us uh, get out of this mess that we're in. Yeah, it needs to be put in check. And I had a really interesting thought. It is very true. Like we are the smartest people doing some of the stupidest things. It's amazing. There's a... Yeah, there's a, there's a, it reminds me, I, I wanted to bring this up is that there was a, I think it's a book, right? Called um, The Smartest Guys in the Room about Enron. And, and that, that was essentially the, the nature of the con was that people are like, hey, I don't get this. What's happening here? Like, this seems strange. And then these people were like, listen, listen dummy, yeah. get out of here. You're not as smart as me. Like, you don't understand what's happening. Or, or Bernard Madoff, right? Same thing is like, hey, you don't get it. I'm not going to accept your money. So if you're so stupid, you don't, you, you won't give me your money. Then I, then, then go away. More people want to get into the Bernard Madoff um, investment portfolio than, than I can accept. So quit asking me questions about how I make all mm -hmm. these profits. So I think that's also kind of the nature of being conned is that there's there's really kind of two flavors that are predominant. I mean, there's lots of ways people get conned. One of them is is greed, right? Like you you say, hey, you better come in now. 
And you know, that's like the classic way to con someone is tap into their greed yeah, the and, FOMO. Then, and then steal from them because they're they're greedy, yeah. right? The second one though, which we've seen from uh, potentially what's going on with social media and also with uh, Enron is, look, you're too stupid. Come on. You're so stupid. You don't understand what's going on. Don't ask me questions. Come on. We're Google. We're Facebook. We're so much smarter than you. How could you dare ask us questions about misinformation? You just don't get it. Like there's PhDs working on this, you know? So I, I think, I think there, there's definitely, that's kind of a nature of the con is when you see someone say, I'm smarter than you. Don't ask me questions. And I think people should ask them questions and say, I don't care that you say that I'm smarter than you. I want to know why you're spreading misinformation and profiting from it and hate. And, and I think that that's that, that definitely could be one of the ways to, to, to hire and, and prevent this is hire people in your company that ask questions. What is the company doing? Tell me the leadership you know, at Google, like why, why is it our mission statement says that we're making the world's information useful, universally accessible and useful, but we're spreading Alex Jones videos. That seems like, like really like a seven-year-old could figure that out, right? <laughs> this, is, this is not like a sophisticated question. Let me know what, what's, what's happening at Google. Yeah. So another piece of Google, since we are harping on it quite a bit, is the the email that went out and with the firing of Timnit, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you feel like it? Cause it feels like she was trying to speak up and she was, she had reasons to speak up and then things happened and now she's not working there. Yeah, that I, I don't, I haven't really followed that that much. I, I don't really know that much about the whole situation. Um, so I, I, I don't have a lot to add to it other than just say generally, I'll say that the stuff we've been talking about is that if the culture at the company is, again, the smartest guys in the room, and maybe guys should be, <laughs> should be highlighted here, men, the smartest men in the room, that that leads to potentially some problems with ethics, right? Is it if people can't ask questions or they get fired, Again, I don't know really anything about it, but I, I think that's a, if there's a culture of fear in your organization, that's a great way for there to be real substantial ethical problems. Hmm. So I appreciate the ideas that you're, you're bringing forth here. I know there are many other companies that are out there in big tech in general that are doing things that may not be the best. And it feels like saying that it's a big problem and saying like, wow, this is, how do we even start is an easy cop-out uh, as we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. So trying to find like small wins that we can talk about. One being, as you mentioned, Section 230 and holding mm -hmm. companies responsible for what their platforms post, what people on their platforms post. There's other tech companies that make a lot of noise uh, for moving fast and breaking things, such as like Uber and Airbnb. And I know you have thoughts on that too. So I'd love to hear where you stand there. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think with the the whole venture capital system, what what's kind of interesting about it is that it almost feels a little bit like almost comical in a way, where if you think about what are the 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 business models of many of these companies, just think about what's free. Like you know, if you if you if you stepped back in 1950, 1975, you know, 2000, you said, what's free? What do we enjoy? You know, we enjoy the sunshine. We, we, we enjoy a quiet neighborhood. We enjoy walks on the beach. We enjoy driving into the city, you know, like whatever it is you enjoy. It's in a way, it's kind of, you think about some of these companies, they're, they're just taking what's free, which is the commons, right? And then they're just monetizing it. And then they're, they're just, they're, they're pushing the externalities down to other people. That, that effectively feels like 
the current version of venture capital, right? Is, is um, let's take what's free, monetize it, and then the bad parts, the externalities, let's give it to the public. So a good example, Airbnb is a perfect one is, I, I lived actually, before I moved out of the Bay Area, I, I, was, I sold my house, I rented a house for a year just to kind of, oh, do I still want to be here or not? My next door neighbor was illegally doing Airbnb. We complained multiple times. They didn't care. There's like Harleys and like, like all kinds of wild parties, like constantly like doing donuts on our street. And it's, it's like, really? Like now I can't even, you know, I'm paying $5,000 a month to live 30 miles outside of San Francisco. And I can't even like even have quiet in my neighborhood because again, the externalities, which is, hey, we're going to just take uh, your residential neighborhood and turn it into like a hotel <laughs> it is that nobody at Airbnb is paying me for that. Like they're not going, Hey, sorry, we like interrupted the last nine months of, mm-hmm. of, of, of your neighborhood with letting people doing donuts in the, in the cul-de-sac and throwing wild parties all the time. Like that's your, that's your responsibility. We're, 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 we're moving fast and breaking things. Right. So that's one example. You take an Uber Lyft, same thing. If you look at, uh, apparently, I've met you know m- many people that have worked at those companies, that the majority of traffic actually in San Francisco is now Uber Lyft. And so it used to be that you could live maybe 20 miles from San Francisco and drive into the city. You kind of can't do that now because you could get in gridlock with Uber and Lyft. So they basically took what is a public good, the streets, and just stole it, right? And then now, now you can't go in the city. You can't drive in the city in a timely manner. Same thing with the taxi medallions, right? That people paid a million dollars for a taxi, uh, uh, you know, a medallion. And then they just said, oh, well, we're just going to break the law and we'll just not have taxi medallions. <laughs> and we'll just, so I think if you just kind of look through a lot of the, or the Lambda school, the, you know, I've heard, I don't know all of the details on it, but, you know, a lot of students are complaining, you know, you know, hey, I thought we were getting this and now I have to pay you my salary. It's just this whole concept of like, hey, let's make, let's just, let's carve out the the parts of education that make us the most money, right? And then all the stuff that's kind of messy, like whether you get a job or you learn anything, like just kind of throw that out to the public and then let you kind of deal with it, you know? And I think that's really this thing about venture capital is just, is that in its current form, it's very transactional and that it's unapologetic, right? And I think why, you know, um, Y Combinator, there's some really, you know, brilliant things that they've done. The, the founder, you know, Paul Graham's got lots of great essays, but, you know, recent essay he, he wrote was uh, Billionaires Build. And, and I, I think that if I had to summarize the, 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 the essay, it's essentially like Jesus saves, right? Or read John 316. It's like, it's non sequitur. It's like, what? You know, like we should make everybody that is a VC founder as rich as possible because they'll do the best good for society. Like that's a very transactional, narrow and wrong kind of way to categorize what's happening in venture capital. And And in particular, I think that venture capital companies should be held responsible for the externalities that they create and that's a, that's definitely something we could do to help society. I, I think, in general, this idea that tech companies should be able to steal things that are the public good, sell them, and then let the public, you know, kind of t- clean up the mess. I think is is not the right way to build technology companies. Well, instantly, what comes to mind are all of the scooters, and yeah, scooters, perfect. The- idea that hey we're we're going to steal the sidewalks and the bike lanes and and so the venture capitalists in your eyes should be held responsible or should at least have a little bit of that that blame or it's the the platform again for for creating something like that well, I think that, I mean, like in the case of the scooter, they 100%, the, the people behind, not just the company, but the people that put the money in, they're going to go now create another company. These should be held responsible for this. If you're littering at scale through a whole city and just throwing garbage all over the streets of the city, and then you get away with it, I think it's completely irresponsible. And, and they've gotten a free pass 
and, and I think it's because of this worship in the Bay Area in particular of tech people. It's like, oh, tech, VC, you know, all this. It's like they can do no wrong. Like, no, they've done a lot of stuff wrong. And, and actually just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean that you're doing good things. And I think that's really this, this kind of misinformed uh, view of the world that the richest people do the best mm. things, I think, is just wrong. It's, just, it, it's clear from the data that if you look at, in fact, the, the Bay Area in particular, that the, the tech industry is kind of destroyed uh, probably a hundred mile radius of the city. The housing prices are out of control, you know, rampant homelessness, drug abuse, um, the, you know, kind of a toxic culture of, um, you know, many problems in, in uh, you know, you know, the boys club culture and companies, uh, you know, the, all, you know, a lot of these products have, have really not been harm, helpful to society. I, I think that there's just been this rose colored glasses because people, the reason they don't say these things is they a want a job in tech, and so they don't want to burn bridges when they want to maybe in the future get VC funding, or they want to get a job at a fang company, and so they don't want to say something bad. But I think most people, I'd say majority of people, know that there's problems with the venture capital industry, and they know there's problem with big tech companies, but they want to be careful, which I understand is because they they don't want to burn bridges, they want to get jobs in one of those industries. Yeah, and your incentives, right? You're trying to, if you're a person that is has got an idea or has a startup that is looking for capital and you recognize that there are problems and you say things, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get funded as a startup. And the incentives, it feels like to me that you put it perfectly, just because you have a lot of money does not mean you're doing good things. It is very clear and it couldn't be more clear in today's day and age and after talking to you on this. So I've got one last question before we wrap this up. Noah, are you a robot? Am I a robot? Um, I I like... Uh, certain th things about robot. I'm not, I'm definitely not a robot, <laughs> uh, but, but I like, I like some things about, uh, you know, maybe self-discipline, I think that are, that are, that are helpful. Uh, and in, in terms of some of the people that I've really enjoyed working with the most that they are, they're able to, to be able to produce things, on a regular basis or have high self-discipline. And it seems like if you have high self-discipline that it, it generally leads to great outcomes. And so uh, I definitely try to have high self-discipline. And so I would say that would probably be the most robotic thing that I do. Um, but I definitely am not a, uh, a robot because I'm too imperfect. <laughs> <laughs> too, too many flaws. Excellent. Excellent conversation. Thank you for sitting down with me and talking about this. There are many things that need to be changed. I think we need to have more conversations like this. These topics need to come out more in a very uncensored manner, like you have put it, because as we were talking before we hit the record button, you don't have to answer to anybody, so you don't feel the need to censor yourself, which is greatly appreciated from my side. There are always two sides to every story. So it's excellent to hear what you have to say and how you see things. I, well, there's, now that I think about it, there's probably a lot more than two sides to every story. <laughs> but I really appreciate you sitting down here with me and, and talking to me about all of this and sharing your wisdom, sharing some of the insights that you've had in the the hiring processes as far as the misinformation goes, aligning that with what the TV and the reality TV scene looked like. Uh, it brought me back down a trip through memory lane when I used to throw stuff at my TV because reality TV shows came on and I didn't want to watch MTV's real world. I was like, ah, this again. Because instinctively, right, we know there's something wrong. 
in, inside of us, we know there's something that's not right about this. What's going on? We're being manipulated in a way that it feels very similar to what's going on with social media. How can we stop? How can we not do this? And there are some interesting thoughts that you had around taking the smartest people around and they're building these recommender systems or they're building this AI that is keeping us more engaged and it is making us more addicted to this. So what can we do to get off of it? What can we do to stop the misinformation, the propagation of this? And I like that you said government needs to step in. The government needs to at least start with these small wins. Let's start there. I think that's something that we can agree on. At least most, if not everyone I've talked to on this show, we can agree that there needs to be some kind of oversight. You put it perfectly when you said, if you're going to be pumping oil out of the ground, you need to have governance on that because there are potentially harmful and dangerous things that can happen there. So why do we not have governance with tech? And more explicitly, big tech that is so big and is ubiquitous with so many people's lives. It's just ingrained in us now after so many years. I, again, thank you. And that is, uh, that's all we got for today's session. <laughs>